Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. This can be found on page 1020 in our church Bibles. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray as we come and think about God's word together. Father God, we've heard your word read to us. And so we do believe that even now you have spoken to us. And yet as we chew over those words, Lord. We pray that you would help us to digest them uh, and help us to really uh, be changed by what we've heard from you today. So grant us your Holy Spirit, the spirit of understanding and and wisdom, uh, and help us to, as we consider your word now, to have great joy in what what you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wonder what your ideal Last Supper would be. Uh, what, what would that consist of? What's your favorite food? Um, there's a bit of a tradition in many cultures around the world that's um, it's probably a bit morbid uh, way to start a, a sermon, but uh, that if someone's been sentenced to death, then they might be entitled to a, a final meal, you know, a, a last request uh, to send them on their way. And so you've got the, the woman who had rather sensibly you know, fried chicken and, and peas followed by chocolate cake. That's a, a good last meal. Um, there was the guy who requested two pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. 
Uh, the strangest one I came across was the request of James Edward Smith, whoever he was, who was executed in Texas in 1990. He requested a lump of dirt as his final meal. Now, um, that wasn't actually on the approved list of uh, foods that the prison were given, so they denied the request, and he was given a yogurt instead, which was nice. Um, but either way, we, we've just read an account here in, in the Bible of a last supper. But this isn't a kind of any last requests kind of meal. Uh, we, it's not a spoiler, I don't think, to say that we know that Jesus, in a, a couple of chapters' time, is going to be dead and resurrected. But this is a, a, a supper that is more than just a, a kind of any last request. This is uh, a chance uh, for Jesus to celebrate the Passover. Uh, and it's not just a, a, a description of how he did it. It's actually something that shows us and shows his disciples just how significant and important Jesus' death would be. So have a look at your Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 14 that uh, Nick just read for us, starting in verse 12. Uh, we read that this final meal, this Last Supper as we know it, was actually a Passover meal, a Passover celebration. And that's the, the first thing to notice this morning is that uh, Jesus hosts uh, a Passover meal. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, it's very clear that that was the expectation. Not, shall we celebrate the Passover? Uh, but it's taken as a given. Where are we going to eat it? Uh, Passover was a big deal for the Jews. Uh, it was one of the great festivals of the Jews. Potentially, millions of people uh, would go to Jerusalem uh, to sacrifice and to, to observe the, the Passover meal. And it all started hundreds of years previously when God's people, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. And to cut a long story short, God rescued the Israelites from Egypt by sending plagues on Egypt until the king, uh, Pharaoh, sent the Israelites away. Now each plague was worse than the last uh, until it peaked with the, the final plague. It was a plague of death. And it meant that every firstborn son in Egypt would die unless they did something special. God told the Israelites to put lamb's blood on their doors so that when the angel of death passed over, hence the name Passover, uh, when the angel of death passed over, it would know not to hurt that particular family. And so that night it happened and the Israelites were safe, but the Egyptians were devastated. And so with that, Pharaoh let the Israelites go. Uh, it's well worth reading the story if you've never come across that before. Um, it's well worth reading even if you have. Uh, it's in the book of Exodus, near the beginning of the Bible. Um, read it this week, why not? And, and see just how, uh, what an amazing thing it was for God to rescue his people. And so in doing that, you might actually be able to, to understand what a big deal it was for the Jews as they celebrated the Passover. Um, God commanded his people to celebrate uh, every year so that no one would forget that God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. But as Jesus hosts this Passover meal, he shows us that it has a much greater significance than just looking back to Israel's rescue from Egypt. In fact, instead of looking back to something, Jesus uses Passover to help us to look forward to something, uh, something far better, but we'll, we'll get to that in due course. 
So it's the, the day of the Passover. Uh, the disciples want to know what the arrangements uh, will be. Uh, you can understand they might be a bit twitchy about it. Um, there's so much to do and it seems quite last minute. It's a bit like getting to Christmas Eve and uh, you still haven't bought the turkey yet. Or, or perhaps like going on holiday, but you think, it's all right, I'll pick up my passport on the way to the airport. Uh, I'm sure it can be done, but most people prefer to be a little bit more organized than that. So the disciples are a little bit twitchy about it, but Jesus is not disorganized. He, uh, the likelihood is he was actually trying to keep all this a secret from those that were trying to kill him. Uh, or those that might want to betray him, like Judas, or arrest him. And so verse 13 uh, it says, he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And you've got this uh, idea of a man carrying a jar of water. That would have been distinctive. Normally it was the women who carry the jars. Uh, and he dis- tells the disciples uh, in verse 14, say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So we see Jesus seems to already have arranged this um, with the owner of the house. He's set up a convenient way for the disciples to know where to go, who to speak to, what to ask. And he tells them to go and make the preparations. Uh, There's quite a bit to do with all the food that needs preparing and making sure there's enough wine and enough crockery and candles and and stuff like that. And so they they go and do it, verse 16. Uh, Then the evening came. That's when the Passover is eaten. Uh, Jesus arrived with the twelve. It's a a nighttime thing, remembering how the Lord passed over the people at night, ready for them to escape the next day. And so they start the Passover meal. And then we get to, to verse 18, and Jesus drops a bombshell. He says, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. In this intimate setting, you know, surrounded by his closest friends, he makes this stunning revelation that one of his disciples would betray him. Can you imagine how shocking that would be? It's one thing when you know that you've got opposition from from the people out there. We read last week about how the chief priests and and the teachers of the law uh, were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So We know there's opposition out there, but it's quite another thing to think you've got opposition within your own team. It's, It's shocking. And quite rightly, verse 19, they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. I mean, this is so shocking, so unthinkable, that they even started questioning themselves. You can imagine saying to themselves, I don't think I would betray Jesus, but I know it can't be any of these guys. These are good guys. Maybe, maybe it must be me. And so they, each one of them uh, ask him, surely you don't need me. Now, bearing in mind Jesus has many disciples, not just the twelve, uh, there probably would have been more than just the 12 with him at this meal. Uh, he narrows it down for them. Verse 20, it is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. So it's not just any disciple. It would even be one of the 12, Jesus' closest disciples. And this is just the start of uh, Jesus being utterly abandoned by everyone around him. It starts with Judas, and then we'll see next week about Peter 
denying him, and eventually we'll see how Jesus is left pretty much all alone to die on the cross. But he has this to say as well, verse 21, the son of man, that's Jesus, will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. He says, I know I have to die. This has been prophesied for for hundreds of years. It's been planned for all eternity. This is why I came. I know that has to happen. But the one who actually betrays me, woe to that man. He says something you'd probably never hear at someone's funeral. It would be better if he had not been born. These are serious words. And uh, it's maybe a bit shocking for us. But I just want to pause and make a quick note here about what we sometimes call divine sovereignty and human responsibility. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but uh, we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God is king. He's in charge. That whatever he decides will happen will actually happen. Uh, We believe that not one sparrow will fall to the ground without God saying so. That's sovereignty. That's God being in charge. But we also believe in human responsibility. Uh, When we sin against God, it's no defense to say, it's not my fault, God ordained this, or God planned this, or God made me do it. It's just untrue. We're all responsible for our own actions. It can be hard to get our minds around that. But before you start calling God unfair or unjust for doing that, just remember that God doesn't just hold us responsible for our sin. He also holds out grace and mercy towards us so that he can forgive our sins. God is not unjust. He's actually tremendously patient and gracious and good. But that's just an aside. As the the Passover meal continues, the the conversation takes a turn as well. Um, Have you ever been at a meal table when uh, the conversation just takes a bit of a nosedive and someone lowers the tone? Uh, Maybe someone mentions something a bit taboo or uh, doesn't quite read the room properly or descends into crude jokes or something like that. Anyway, here it's like Jesus changes the subject completely and and starts talking about cannibalism. That's a complete turn in the conversation. He can't surely be talking about cannibalism, can he? Uh, No, of course, he's not suggesting that. But Jesus is telling his disciples that in a spiritual sense, that Jesus is the Passover meal. Uh, Look at verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And so the same thing happens in verse 24. This is my blood. It sounds disgusting, and I suppose it is, really. Um, We don't tend to talk about eating people and drinking blood at the dinner table, uh, or any table, really. Um, But it's a disgusting thing. But what Jesus is trying to do is, is really to identify himself with the different aspects of the Passover. So he takes bread, which represents his body. He takes a cup of wine to represent his blood. And in a a much bigger sense, although he doesn't specifically mention it here, he is the Passover lamb itself that was slaughtered for the sins of the world. Verse 24 says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
uh, he says, I, I will shed my blood and I, I will keep man's side of the covenant. Uh, and my blood isn't just for you in this room. It's not just for uh, myself. This blood is poured out for many. What Jesus is saying is that his blood can cover all your sins. Think about how many lambs had to be sacrificed uh, for the Jews to cover how many sins had been committed. And you just had to keep on going and going and going. But Jesus is the, the final Passover lamb. And Jesus is the final sacrifice for us. And his blood is sufficient for all of us, for all our sins. There's no quota for the number of people that he needs to save. No restriction for, for how many people uh, can be forgiven by him. Have you ever been at a, a buffet where uh, you're near the back of the queue and you can see all your favorite things being taken by the people in front? Or, or maybe you've been standing in the queue at Greg's with your eye on that last sausage roll and you're five people in front of you. Are oh, you going to get it or not? You can just see, you're just wondering, am I going to get any of it? Well, with Jesus, there is no queue like that. Even if there was, if you were at the back of the queue, there would still be plenty left for you. His blood was poured out for many. Now, not everyone's going to take him up on the offer. In fact, each of us will know many that haven't taken his offer of being the Passover sacrifice. Uh, each of us know people that aren't Christians, that people that don't want anything to do with Christ, uh, people who don't want anything to do with salvation or forgiveness or eternal life. And it's a sad thing. But his blood was poured out for many as opposed to the few. And there's enough to cover your sins as well as mine. That's good news. This series is, is called Good News. As we look through Mark's gospel, there's tons of good news as we learn about Jesus. And maybe if you're not a Christian here this morning, but would like to be, uh, this might be where it all starts for you. That you know, you're recognizing that Jesus died for your sin, that his blood was shed for you, and that he gladly invites you to turn to him for salvation and forgiveness and a new start. You can have all of that because Jesus is our Passover meal. Judgment passes over us because Jesus, our Passover lamb, was slaughtered for us. Uh, maybe there are Christians here this morning, I know many of us are, uh, who are struggling with sin, wondering if Christ's sacrifice really is enough to cover that sin that you've committed a hundred times this week already. Well, the good news is that yes, Christ's body and blood are absolutely enough to cover those sins as well. That's good news. The, the words of the hymn, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. That's the extent, just a, a glimpse of the extent of God's love for us in pouring out his blood on the cross for us. So we've seen how Jesus is our, our Passover lamb that would be slain for us. But, uh, and, and that would be a, a very sad thing if we just left it there. For someone as glorious and gracious and, and powerful and loving as Jesus just to die 
would be tragic. Uh, But Jesus gives us a glimmer of hope, a glimpse of something to look forward to. Verse 25, he says, Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In uh, a traditional Jewish Passover, there'd be four points during the meal where you'd drink, a bit like raising a toast. Um, Each cup would represent something different, uh, maybe a, a different promise that, that God makes to his people. You'd have a, a cup of sanctification, a, a cup of uh, deliverance a bit later, and the cup of redemption. And at the end, you drink from the cup of praise. And so when Jesus was saying, lifting the cup and saying, this is uh, my blood of the covenant, the likelihood is that he was raising the third cup, the, f- the cup of redemption. And Mark doesn't actually tell us that he raises the fourth cup at all. Um, He may well have done, who knows. Uh, But some people take this to mean that Jesus is saying that the fourth cup, the the cup of praise, the hallelujah cup, uh, will be drunk when he finally returns and makes everything new again. So he's got something to look forward to. We can truly praise him, not for something that was done in the past, but for something that's done in the future as well, that Christ will come again. In the other version of the song we sang just earlier, Man of Sorrows, um, the, the older version, the traditional version, you probably know it a bit better. Uh, the, the verse at uh, the end says, When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And so when he and his disciples had sung a hymn, it probably wasn't that one, but when they sung a hymn, they went out to the, the Mount of Olives. And we'll see what happens next week. But there is a, a sense in which that this is something really praiseworthy. Uh, we read the account of the Last Supper and very easily jump straight to the Lord's Supper. We're not actually celebrating communion this morning. Um, but... Uh, we kind of skip straight to the Lord's Supper, to to communion, um, and maybe we forget about what it meant for the disciples right there and right then. So it's good to look back to the Passover, it's good to look back to Christ's death, but it's also good to look forward to Christ coming again. And so one of the things that we do, Mark doesn't mention it in this gospel, but the, the other gospel writers do, is Jesus says, do this kind of meal again and again to remember me. It's a good thing to remember uh, Jesus. It's uh, when it comes to remembering and forgetting. Uh, forgetting things comes with different consequences. Uh, if you forget your keys, for example, you might be locked out of your house. If you forget to look before crossing the road, you might end up in hospital. Uh, if you forget your wedding anniversary, uh, that's something else completely. But, but the consequences of, of Jesus are actually far, forgetting Jesus are far more serious. Uh, Psalm 106 actually deals with the idea of forgetting God and, and kind of outlines that when we forget God, um, we turn to rebellion. When we forget God, we get impatient. And when we forget God, we, we start worshipping other things instead of Jesus. And so Jesus, in his grace and his wisdom, gives us the Lord's Supper 
or communion as a way of regularly remembering him. So that's one thing that we can practically do is to take communion, not just mechanically, but making sure that we remember him. Remember what he's done in the past and remember that he's coming again. Now we we started out talking about our final request for a meal and what that would be. And I think what, what Jesus is really showing us in this passage is that whatever our final meal is, there is a far greater feast to come. Something to look forward to. Now I think um, throughout Mark's gospel, Mark has been making allusions to some of the Psalms. He's been trying to show us who Jesus is as the promised Messiah, the the Christ, the the God's chosen king. Uh, And in particular, to quote Psalm 23, words that you may be familiar with, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a way to celebrate a Passover with the true Passover lamb of God, Jesus himself, who ate at a table in the presence of his enemy Judas, whose head was anointed with oil, we saw that last week, who shows his goodness and in love throughout our lives and gives us rest with him forever. In the words of that hymn again, hallelujah, what a saviour. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have such a saviour in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he uh, gave his body and gave his blood for us. We thank you that he is our Passover lamb that was slain for us. We thank you that we can be forgiven because of his death, his sacrifice for us. We thank you that we can have a new start with you. And we can have countless new starts because we do mess up every day. But Lord, we, we do pray that as we remember the Last Supper, as we regularly take the Lord's Supper, as we consider uh, where we stand before you on a, a regular basis, Lord, help us not to forget you. Help us not to forget Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And I pray that even that remembrance would help us to live lives that are more pleasing to you, that are more worthy of you, more worthy of the gospel. Lord, help us now, we pray. Uh, Assure us of our salvation. We we pray that you would help us to uh, be very clear about whether we are following you or not, we are uh, Christians or not. We pray that you would even cause some this morning to turn to you for the first time and be saved. Lord, the righteous run into your name and are safe. And so we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.